following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Praise the Lord, my brothers and sisters. This morning's reading is taken from Paul's first lesson to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, followed by verses 12 to 20. And this can be found on page 1156 of the Church Bibles, page 1156. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May I speak to the glory of God the Father, and in the name of Jesus the Son, and through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I never know whether to wait there and wait for a response or whether to plow on, but good morning to you. Can I add my words of welcome to those of Aaron earlier in the service? 
was at school, I learned the piano. And now before saying any more on this topic, I'd like to reassure the worship group that I'm not angling to join them, and they can breathe a sigh of relief, because I am no musician, and the little that I did learn has deserted me since then. But back to those piano lessons at school. Unfortunately, I had the habit of forgetting to bring the right music in on the day of the lesson. And I remember one particular day when I'd forgotten the music yet again, and my frustrated piano teacher said, Really, Joanne, uh, people always call me Joanne if they're annoyed with me, Really, Joanne, she said, you must have a memory like a sieve. Now she meant, of course, that I had the kind of memory that was full of holes. And one of those holes was the size and shape of my piano music. These days, I find my memory is full of other holes. Um, I don't know if you find this, like running upstairs, getting to the top, and completely forgetting why you ran up the stairs in the first place. Or recently, in my case, driving three and a half hours to stay with my brother in Scotland, getting there, opening the boot of the car, and finding it completely empty. All my bags were back in the hallway here in Durham. Now, you may, at this point, be surprised that I've even remembered to be here this morning. But anyway, despite my obvious lack of qualification, I'd like to talk today about remembering. Today, as we heard earlier, is Remembrance Sunday when we remember all of those who have fought and died and suffered in war. Today we remember their courage and we remember their sacrifice. And Remembrance Sunday ensures that there is never a hole in our collective memory through which that courage and that sacrifice might fall. And as we recall people and events, we do so before God. And so we set those people and those events in the context of our Christian hope, hope for the future, the hope of which Paul writes in our Bible reading this morning, which we're going to look at in a little bit more detail later. So this year, this Remembrance Sunday in 2019, I'd like to concentrate on remembering one particular group of people and one particular event. Because this year, it is 80 years since the start of the mass evacuation of children from towns and cities across the UK at the start of the Second World War. So today I'd like to focus particularly on evacuees, on the courage and the sacrifice of wartime children. Now the evacuation of children and other vulnerable people started on the 31st of August 1939. So that's three days even before the actual declaration of war. And one and a half million people were evacuated in two days. And the vast majority of them were children. Um, We've got some pictures on the overhead. You can get some idea from the photos of the time. 
Here's the scene at Neasden Railway Station in London as children board a train to go away. Um, And here we have another picture, um, children at the end of their journey walking away with their host families. And I think it's hard for us to imagine how that must have been for them. Here are children as young as five going to school with a small bag of clothes, not knowing when or where they might be sent, or even for how long. And many of their experiences turned out to be very positive Um, Here on the left-hand side, you can see um, some young boys standing by a kind of haystack in the country with lollipops in their hands. But many also of those experiences were not as happy. And I think you can see from the poster that's also up there, the kind of campaign that encouraged parents to send their children away. And I can only imagine the kind of dilemma faced by those parents torn between sending their children away and keeping them with all the risks that they might be bombed. Many of you know Wendy Rogerson, who's a member of this church and who is here this morning. Welcome, Wendy. And Wendy very kindly shared with me her memories of evacuation. Um, And there is um, some photos that Wendy's kindly provided. The top left shows Wendy and her brother at the beach um, at the outbreak of war. So that was in 1939. Um, The other two photos are closer to the end of the war, 1945. Um, Wendy, on on the right-hand photo, that's guide camp, and Wendy is actually back row, um, second from the right-hand end, um, if you're looking at that there and locating her. Wendy's family... um, began the war by hosting evacuees. Um, She lived in a vicarage in Amble near Morpeth, and her family hosted three children and their teacher from Heaton in Newcastle. Um, I think there were, however, by Wendy's account, some ecumenical tensions, because the evacuees were Roman Catholic. And when they saw Wendy's father's church, an Anglican church, and they compared it with their own, they described it as a pile of bricks. However, despite this, although the children only stayed for a month, it was a happy time. And they kept in touch afterwards and for many years. Later, Wendy herself became an evacuee when Amble was no longer considered a safe place. And Wendy went with her brother and her mother to Holtwistle, and while staying at a relative's house there, the children played a game one day which involved closing the curtains. Now, when their host came home, she was very upset by this because closing curtains in daylight meant just one thing, that there'd been a death in the house. And the host's response was really very sudden. She, at that time, turned Wendy and her family straight out um, and forced them to go and find other accommodation in Holtwistle in which to stay. 
And so I think Wendy's experience shows both the positive and the negative sides of evacuation. And Wendy's family wasn't alone in finding evacuation at times painful and difficult. Um, I read the story of Dennis Camp, who was evacuated to Stockport from Yorkshire as a young boy, I think of only six years old. And in Stockport, he caught pneumonia and was sent to hospital. Dennis was put onto a ward with soldiers who'd been shipped back from Dunkirk. I think it must have looked a little like these wartime pictures here. And during that time, Dennis became critically ill. And the doctors got in touch with his mother and asked her to come across to the hospital. And these are Dennis's words. She visited me as soon as she could, then sadly told me, I can't stay here with you because I've got no money to pay for a boarding house. The soldiers in my ward heard about Mum's situation and handed me all their pennies and two pence pieces, which I gave to Mum so she could stay in Blackpool. The soldiers constantly prayed for me, and I firmly believe that it was with their help that I survived. There's something deeply touching about what happened in that hospital ward, about the generosity of those soldiers who can't themselves have been well, which enabled a mother to stay with her critically ill child. And their constant prayers were clear to Dennis. Earlier I spoke about Christian hope. Through the prayers and through the kindness of those soldiers, Dennis Camp found Christian hope and he found a future. In all the evacuees' stories that I've read and heard, their wartime experiences ran very deep. Many of you know Jane Ghosh, also from this congregation, and Jane is also here this morning. Jane shared with me the memories of her mother, Gwyneth. Gwyneth was evacuated at the start of the war when she was eight years old, and she was sent from London to North Wales. And Jane describes how her mother was treated harshly, that cruel words were spoken to her, and she was seen as inferior as the, the child that lived in that house. Her letters were even censored so that her parents back home didn't know how unhappy she was. Sometimes she was sent out alone at night in the blackout to buy cigarettes for the man of the house. And Jane says this. Years ago, my mother showed me the very street that she'd walked along during the blackout as a frightened young girl. Then she surprised me by saying, my Jesus meant a lot to me then. It was not the kind of thing I had ever heard my mother say before. Some years later, when my mother was dying in hospital, I saw that she was like a frightened child again. So I reminded her of those scary walks in the dark during the war. And then I said, 
You told me that Jesus meant a lot to you then. Well, he can mean a lot to you now, if you let him. Imagine the fear of an eight-year-old forced out into the blackout of wartime on her own. I find that really distressing. But there, at that point of great need, was Jesus. And I have no doubt that what Jane was able to say to her mother all those years later brought her profound hope. And it is this kind of hope that Paul writes about in our Bible reading for this morning. You might want to have it open. It's on page 1156 of the Bibles. Here is Paul in his first letter to the Corinthian church, reminding them the Corinthians, helping them to remember the content of the good news about Jesus Christ. It seems that the Corinthians were struggling with the idea of resurrection, that some of them, in verse 12, were questioning whether resurrection is possible. And I think that we, like those Corinthian Christians, can find this idea one of the hardest to hold on to when we are confronted with death. We too can find ourselves asking, how is this possible? Some of the Corinthians were also apparently asking, and this is just beyond our particular passage for this morning, they were asking, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And perhaps those are our questions as well. In reply, Paul points the Corinthians back to Jesus and to the witnesses of Jesus' own resurrection. He points them to Peter, to the twelve disciples, He points them to the many others who followed and who were able to testify to the risen Jesus Christ. Paul points them to the apostles, to those whose experiences of the risen Jesus so deeply affected them that they travelled across continents to tell anyone and everyone they could. And in doing this, Paul points the Corinthians to all those who embraced their own deaths in the conviction that they would follow where Jesus led. For all these reasons, Paul says, we have hope. Hope not only for this life, but also for the life beyond. And this brings me to another way of understanding what remembering means. Because of the resurrection, there is a second sense to Christian remembering. It's not only about recalling the past. The word remember can be split into two parts, and I've tried to show this, the bottom right-hand corner of this slide here. We can split it into re- and member. And member is another word for a limb or an organ of the body. 
And so in this sense, remember can refer to the renewing of limbs, the renewing of organs, the renewing of bodies. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christian remembering embraces not only recalling the past, but also hope for the future. That we will be remembered. Our bodies will be renewed when we follow in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We may not know how this is possible, but we do know that in Jesus it has already happened. We know it because of the witness of those disciples, of those apostles, and of the countless people over 2,000 years who have known the presence of the risen Jesus Christ. People like Wendy and Dennis and Gwyneth. And that gives us the pattern, and it gives us the guarantee that it is possible. I'd like to finish with something that was written on the wall of all the staff bedrooms in a wartime nursery school in West Norwood in London. The words always in front of staff every day were these. Let us not think meanly of our job. The world moves forward on the feet of little children. Shoe buttons, blisters, elusive wellingtons, odd and undarned socks. These are all the details in the building of tomorrow. This morning... We remember the children of that wartime generation whose feet have moved our world forward. This morning, too, we give thanks for our hope that we will all be remembered, that tomorrow will be built not only on the feet of children, but also on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.